Through the years in Iowa, there have been several rivers that have overran their banks and flooded the valleys and lands surrounding them. In some cases, washing towns away in their swift current. Hello and welcome to another Midwest Ghost Town podcast. My name is Dan Klein. I'm your host, your history enthusiast, and your ghost town and abandoned history adventurer. And like we say on this channel, let's keep history alive. And one way we can certainly do that is by talking about it, making this podcast, and of course videos as well, and we strive for two uploads a week. We kicked off a new series, Underwater Ghost Towns of Iowa, and if you haven't had a chance to check out part one and part two, and if you're interested, go check it out. It's an interesting story where I talk a little bit about the ghost town of Queen City, Iowa, a town that was literally forgotten and rediscovered when 200 graves were accidentally uncovered with the digging and the creation of Lake Bender down near Corning, Iowa. And then I cover the six ghost towns at the bottom of Lake Red Rock, Colport, Cordova, Dunreath, Fifield, Rousseau, and of course Red Rock, in which the lake is named after, and that you can find in part two. The entire topic of submerged ghost towns is not a new topic. In fact, as I was gathering research, I learned that underwater ghost towns or submerged ghost towns have actually existed for many, many years. But today, we're going to close the three-part series with part three, The Wild Rivers of Iowa. And just a quick disclaimer, part three will be a little less about full submerged ghost towns, but will cover an equally important subject, floods. Flooding isn't a new subject in the Hawkeye State, and every community far and wide, east and west, north and south, all over the state can probably have a first-hand account of flooding in or around their community. We'll cover some of these historical floods that took all or parts of some towns in Iowa deeming them ghost towns, or at least propelling them into living ghost town status. Without much ado, let's get into part three of Underwater Ghost Towns, The Wild Rivers of Iowa. I was 18 years old, growing up in the little town of Cherokee, Iowa. It was a quiet town nestled against some smaller bluffs lining the Little Sioux River a windy, curvy river that claimed itself as a tributary of the Big Sioux River and both rivers feeding the Missouri River further downstream. In some ways, Cherokee could call itself a river town, with life along the Little Sioux bringing plenty of recreational activities like canoeing and fishing. But I remember stories from my dad warning me to never swim in the Little Sioux River, that there were sinkholes and underwater trees being carried by the current, and he had plenty of stories where people had drowned in that river. 1993 had brought an unusual amount of rain in the Midwest, and flooding was becoming more common across the state, with countless stories from both the Mississippi on the east side to the Missouri on the west side, and naturally every tributary that fed into both. From April to October, the Great Flood of 1993 persisted, devastating the Iowa countryside and being one of the most costly floods ever to occur in the U.S., racking up $15 billion in damage. And Cherokee was no exception. 
I remember finishing my shift at the radio station where I had worked as a high schooler, working second shift DJ jobs and getting alerts that the Little Sioux was flooding the southeast part of town, and to quickly put out a signal over the air to ask for help in sandbagging. As soon as I gave the alert, I locked up the station and headed down Main Street, where I was greeted by hundreds of locals, fire trucks, police, and everyone was working nonstop filling bags with sand and building a makeshift barrier or a wall to help stop the rising waters from flooding the downtown. Most of the homes that were located by the old Lincoln School and Tomahawk Fields were already underwater and the river was rising fast. Luckily, the river never hit high enough levels where it flooded the downtown, which was slightly uphill from the river, but the homes and neighborhoods further east were little islands. Most people were stuck in their homes and the only access in or out was by boat or canoe. Of course, later in the years to come, a great government buyout occurred where the homes that were situated in the floodplain were forced to move. Homes that were deemed unfit were torn down. Homes that were deemed worthy to live in were moved to higher ground for homeowners to live outside of the floodplain area. It completely shifted part of the residential part of Cherokee. Luckily, it wasn't a death blow to the community and Cherokee survived and moved on. But for some communities in Iowa, that wasn't the case. Like the story of Rockdale, Iowa and the Rockdale Flood of 1876. On July 4th, 1876, Rockdale would be the site of one of the worst flooding disasters in Iowa history. The 100th anniversary of the nation was being celebrated, and as celebrations wrapped up, around 10 p.m., a light drizzle began, and soon this drizzle turned into a total downpour. The Catfish Creek overflooded its bank and broke the mill dam, which is upstream from the village. The resulting wall of water, which was estimated to be 20 feet deep and hundreds of feet wide, swept through the village. By the time the flood was over, the mill and one house would be the only building still standing. 42 people died. And a short distance away in Dubuque, only one person died. Survivors were found in the treetops where the floodwaters had swept them. One local survived by climbing on the roof of the post office after warning others of the flood. He later escaped by swimming naked to higher ground with his money in his mouth. John and Francis Howell wrote home to family in England from USA in a letter, July 12, 1876. The crops here will not be good. There has been so great falls of rain that has done a vast deal of damage. I dare say your brother Joe can remember Catfish Mill. On the 4th of July, that great day of rejoicing all over America, at night, set in such violent a storm of rain as anyone has ever known here. By Catfish Mill, there was a little village of 12 or 13 houses. All had been at the great rejoicings and came home tired and returned to rest, and all the families drowned. In a few hours, 39 men and women and children, all but a young man and one family who were saved almost miraculously. Their house turned on one side and was stopped by a big tree. 
They clung to the rafters with their heads just above the water and held on until help came them. I cannot sleep well for thinking of those dear children. The house was knocked to fragments, and up to the eighth, 31 dead bodies were found. Hundreds of people have been to see where they stood, but the mill, which was built of large stone, turned the flood on one side and is still all right. You may conject what a flood 25 feet deep came rushing down and swept all this away. There's a great deal of damage done at many places, and the railroads washed away, and many persons have lost their lives. This year appears to be a year of great floods and fires. The flood catapulted Rockdale into ghost town status, and the final blow was given when several highways bypassed the town, which was eventually annexed into Dubuque, Iowa. You can, of course, visit Dubuque today, and you can kind of see that section of that town still there, but considered a ghost town. And it just kind of reminisces of just how devastating a flood that magnitude can do, especially in that time period. Another story of a ghost town created by flooding was the town of Beerus City, and not much could be found of this town, but it was listed as a town on the Mississippi, north of the confluence of the mouth of the Iowa River. It was platted in 1853 with a boom and population of around 600 to 700 and over 5,000 lots in anticipation of the airline railroad. So they were preparing for this railroad to come through and like a lot of boom uh, towns that existed during that time frame, they were getting ready for this. And this ended, ended up being a town that um, was a victim and completely destroyed by the flood of 1858, completely wiping Bureau City off the map. And then a more recent ghost town flooding story, and that is the story of Elkport Iowa. Elkport is located between the two rivers, Volga and Turkey. The mouth of the Elk Creek actually empties out into the Turkey River on the eastern side of the town, and a bit to the north of the town, the Volga River empties out into the Turkey River. These rivers played a key role in the destruction of the Clayton County town. The Volga River flooded in May of 2004 and basically destroyed the infrastructure of the town. All of the residents were evacuated to a higher part of the town and, of course, neighboring towns as well. Instead of rebuilding much of the town's buildings, the town people accepted a federal buyout. Right before the flood struck the town, the population of that town was a little more than 100. So according to the most recent census, there are 29 people who still live in that town. Many of the fixtures that did not remain in this small community were eerily left abandoned. Two years after the flood, many of these homes, unlivable, and a demolition team went into the town and crushed 27 homes and the majority of the town's other buildings. So at the end of that September, bulldozers raised the entire town of Elkport, erasing homes, businesses, churches, and 150 years of history. The demolition came two years after the town's 86 former residents endured severe flood damage. The Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, agreed to buy out the affected properties, 
and that totaled $1.6 million for Elkport and seven homes in neighboring Garber. But it took its time delivering that, of course, and the agency rubber-stamped the buyout in June 2005, one year after the flood. And the money took yet another year to reach property owners. Elkport sat inside the floodplain of three different waterways, increasing the chance that another flood would repeat that devastation. In fact, Elkport had flooded five years before that in 1999 when the Turkey and the Volga rivers overfilled then. That incident marked the first severe flood since the dike was constructed in 1949. Damage was less severe than it would be six years later, and the town bounced back. But while the town of Elkport is gone from the map, former residents haven't given up the ghost town. The community center is still standing, as is a small convenience store on the edge of town, and a handful of houses on the fringes that were lucky enough to be above that flood line. Also, the city council still meets monthly and discusses Elkport's future, confident that it has one. Which gives me just a chance to pause here for a moment. Oftentimes, you'll hear me talk, and I had a person reach out to me asking the question when I brought up or have brought up in the past and continue to bring up the term I call living ghost towns. And somebody said, well, what does that mean exactly? And a living ghost town is basically the definition of ghost town. Many people know it as population zero, but not always. Sometimes it is a drastic reduction of the population of that town base and leaving only 10% of what it was in recent history. So when you go and you look at a town that might have been 100, a population of 100, let's say, even just a few years ago, and now is only down to 10, well, now you're really reaching what we call ghost town status. Not the ghost town status of zero population, though, but those are the ghost towns, the ones that have just a few people remaining, but they're still there. I call living ghost towns because even though they would garner the status of ghost town, they're not population zero. So there are people still living there. And it's more than likely that that could go on for a long time. There could be generations of people who might like living in a small town atmosphere or even like the status of being called a living ghost town. The story of Elkhart is one that deals with the flooding of rivers and has dealt with some federal buyout. Not what it once was. Of course, it's really diminished. And there are you know, people who are still living around that area. One of the things that I love about what I'm doing with Midwest Ghost Town is opening this up to conversation. I love the conversation of someone questioning that or asking or having a conversation about what they deem is a ghost town. And why not? Because in a community like this one, where we have people who are dropping comments or people who are asking questions, the way I kind of look at it is this is a community where we are learning together. So let's keep history alive and keep marching forward. And if we can have this conversation, I think it just enriches us more as we learn more about the history of a lot of these towns um, in and around where we live. It's rare for an Iowa town to be completely erased. It's not unprecedented. Littleport ceased to exist after a post-flood federal buyout in 1999. In addition, portions of Chelsea, Iowa, 
were redrawn in the early 1990s when the Iowa River overflowed. Chelsea is a completely different story, however, not a ghost town, but let's look a little closer at Littleport. Littleport, Iowa is an unincorporated community and a former city in Clayton County. After the Vogel River flood of May 16, 1999, much of that town was destroyed and most residents moved away. At the 2000 census, there were only 26 residents remaining there. The town was laid out in 1857, so let's go back at the history of this thing. It was laid out by Dennis Quigley and wasn't officially incorporated until 1907. And around that time, it had three general stores, a bank, a blacksmith shop, Catholic church, which was built in 1909 and torn down, of course, in 1990. The German Lutheran church, damaged by that same flood in May 1999 uh, of the Volga River, later moved to higher ground. There was an independent school district and the creamery. And somewhat later, it also had two taverns. This town was completely disincorporated in 2005. There are more little stories like this one and other stories missing some details. But all in all, it's telling a bigger story. As we close out this three-part series, Underwater Ghost Towns of Iowa, and part three, The Wild Rivers of Iowa, let us take time to remember some of these towns and the people who live there. Fighting hard to keep their towns, but fighting harder to keep their own stories alive. As we journeyed through the countless stories of Queen City, Red Rock, Coalport, Cordova, Dunreath, Fifield, Rousseau, and as we remembered some of the flooding stories of Littleport, Elkport, and Rockdale, we remember the pulse of these places. Some of the stories of those who once called these towns home, echoing through the currents. Part 3. The Wild Rivers of Iowa painted a picture of a state that is both fierce and delicate, where nature ruled the day and held its dominance over man-made structures. The mighty Mississippi, the magnificent Des Moines River, and other rivers that carved its way through the state, once peaceful, but at times flooding the landscape, gives a reminder of how temporary things can be, yet serve as a testament to the indomitable spirit of the people who live near them. Thank you for coming along this fascinating journey through history and the hidden treasures and stories that lie beneath the surface of some of the Iowa waterways. In this quest of learning the stories and uncovering these treasures, let's keep history alive. This is Midwest Ghost Town.